Hi, thanks for coming. Um, yeah, we're it's here. A, it's going to for... be a good service. I, it's our our final sermon on joy. Yep. And I have to say, I'm excited for, for the sermon, but I'm excited for the conversations that's going to come following I know. the sermon. I have things prepared. I have you do? questions. I so I've talked to people from our congregation who have a approached me and said, okay. here's some things to talk oh. about. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, That's... I'm actually going to talk for other people who, who aren't here, but they're part of a I love that. Yeah, so. so yeah, KJ and I are going to be sitting down with Alan after this message, and we're going to be going over these questions. Feel free to let us know other questions in other series. We'll yeah, totally I mean, like, I'm really excited about that. <laughs> like, being, I mean, people are thinking about yes. this, and they're questioning this, and they don't agree with this. So, I love that. Yeah. Love it. All right, cool. Here we go. Enjoy. Hey, Christ community, so glad you are joining us today. Before we jump into the message, I wanted to just acknowledge something really cool on our staff team. Uh, Daniel Stites um, has been on our staff 30 years, and we are celebrating him and Natalie this weekend, just acknowledging them, praying for them and uh, thanking them for their years of service at Christ Community. So if you know those guys, reach out, say congrats, and just express your appreciation. Um, So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. Today we are actually finishing up a teaching series in which we've been focusing on the theme of joy. How can we grow in our experience of joy no matter what? is happening in our lives. Well, today, I want us to conclude this series by looking at a specific group of people in the Bible who were struggling to experience joy. And then it came to them in an unexpected way, and it became an anchor for their lives, just like it can be in our lives as well. So in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, we are introduced to Nehemiah, who was a Jew and who was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes the king of Persia. And while Nehemiah was serving the king, he heard that his hometown of Jerusalem was in bad shape. The walls were broken down, making it vulnerable to attack. There was a small remnant of Jewish people who were living there at the time. And so with King Artaxerxes' permission and support, Nehemiah went to Jerusalem and he led this rebuilding project to repair the walls of the city. So the first seven chapters of the book of Nehemiah describe that project and the opposition and the challenges they faced. But they eventually, they finally got it done. Now, Nehemiah realized that this was not only a physical rebuilding project, but also a spiritual one. The city of Jerusalem represented the dwelling place of God among his people. And so there was a need for spiritual renewal as well. So after the wall had been built, rebuilt, the people of Israel came together one day and they asked Ezra, the priest, to read from the book of the law of Moses. It was this powerful moment. Ezra standing at this raised podium, and as he opened the book of the law, the people stood in reverence and worship. And so Ezra began to read out loud from this book of the law, and then the Levites began to explain to the people what these words meant. But the reaction these leaders received from the people was not what they expected. As the people heard God's word being spoken and proclaimed, they started weeping. They realized how far they had fallen short 
of God's law. So they wept in repentance. Their hearts were sad with genuine conviction, but the leaders didn't want them to remain in that place of sadness. So Nehemiah runs up to the podium and he says to the people, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength, is such a powerful description of God's desire for us. God's desire for us is not simply that we periodically experience moments of joy. No, God wants us to live in this joy. In fact, he says here that this joy is intended to be our strength. I mean, this word used for strength here literally means shelter, refuge. It's describing this stronghold, this fortress, this protected location, this place of safety. This is how God intends for us to experience joy in our lives, not simply as a fleeting temporary thing, but rather as a continual place of shelter, a fortress for us, no matter what is happening around us. God wants us to live in this experience of resilient joy. Now, as, as we've talked about throughout this series, God created our brains in such a way that they are actually wired for joy. Joy is not simply one emotion among many. Joy is our primary emotion. As a friend of mine recently said to me, joy is the closest emotion to home. I love that. It, it is this place of shalom, this place of peace, of where we belong. Now, that doesn't mean that our other emotions are bad or wrong or that they should be neglected. Quite the opposite. All these other emotions find their true home in joy. Now, the best way for me to illustrate this is with the movie Inside Out, which is a powerful animated movie. So fun. And yet it also describes how our brains work. I had a friend tell me last week that her, her sister uh, is a psychology professor at a college and she requires all of her students to watch this movie, Inside Out, because of how powerfully it articulates the world of the soul. Now, by the way, did you know that psychology in its original form is the study and care of the soul. That's what this word means. The word psych comes from the biblical word for soul, suke. And psychology is actually a biblical concept. A few, century ago, a few centuries ago, pastors and priests were viewed as being curates of the soul. They, they were people who were able to help um, bring wholeness to people's soul. But then in the Enlightenment, certain secularists sort of took over this area like Freud and others, and they basically kicked God out of the discussion. So naturally, Christians became very skeptical of psychology in general, kind of separating themselves from it. But I believe we are in a unique season where people's souls are struggling for purpose and meaning and hope and wholeness. And Jesus speaks to that in a powerful way. 
Okay, anyway, in this movie, Inside Out, it looks inside the soul, the inner world of this joyful, normal 11-year-old girl um, named Riley who is experiencing the emotional trauma of moving from Minnesota to California. And the, the movie depicts what is happening within her soul in terms of her the emotions she experiences. Now, each emotion in this animated movie is a character. So there is joy, there's sadness, there's anger, there's fear, and there's disgust. So for, for most of the movie, joy <clears throat> dominates everything, working really hard to kind of try to keep all these other emotions in check and try to keep sadness away. I mean, and after all, isn't that the goal? A joy that keeps all these negative emotions away. No, no, that's not the goal. What happens at the end of this movie is that joy discovers that sadness has an important role in our experience of true wholeness. Rather than stuffing her sadness, 11-year-old Riley needed to experience that sadness in order to discover a truly joy-filled life. And this is true for us as well. In order for us to experience joy as a strength, we need to realize that every emotion we feel is important to fully experience. But in that emotion, we can also discover a pathway to joy, to our emotional home, to joy. So if we think that stuffing our emotions is going to result in a joy-filled life, we are badly mistaken. The joy-filled life that God invites us to grow in is a life in which all of our emotions are validated, felt, and yet also ultimately point us to joy. Okay, so if you haven't seen Inside Out uh, or you haven't seen it in a while, I encourage you to watch it with a Kleenex, set of Kleenexes nearby. It does a great job of summarizing this entire sermon series, showing us how without joy, our lives fall apart. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay, so let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, and talk about how we can grow in our experience of joy being our strength. There are four practical things that we can do to grow in this. And they come out of this passage and a few other passages of scripture. So the first, first is by living in the fullness of God's delight. Notice where Nehemiah locates the source of this joy. He doesn't just say that joy is our strength. No, he says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The source of our joy, the, the source of this resilient, protective fortress of joy in our lives is in the Lord. It is in our experiencing a love relationship with God where we are delighted in by him. We spent a couple of weeks early in this series talking about this, but I want to revisit for a few moments because it is foundational to everything else. The reason the people in Nehemiah were overcome with sadness as the law was being read was because they realized how far they fell short of how God wanted them to live. This is where we begin a relationship with God. It's in realizing how far we fall short of his holiness, that we don't deserve a relationship with him, that we can't earn a relationship with him. This is where Jesus comes in. We, we, we have something that the people in Nehemiah could only dream about. We have a Messiah who took our sin upon himself. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to take our judgment 
upon himself, which means that when we place our trust in Christ, we enter into a relationship with God in which he now delights in us as his beloved sons and daughters. It is in this relationship that we experience the foundation for joy. This is why when God sent his angel to announce to the shepherds, i.e. the outcast, the, the, the news of Jesus' birth, the angel began with these words. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. In saving us from our sin, Jesus brings us great joy. If you have never placed your trust in Jesus as Savior, you are missing the foundation for joy, which is knowing that you are delighted in by the God of the universe. When we admit our sin and we put our trust in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We now have a God whose face is towards us, who delights in us. And that love and delight move us to want to follow him with all that we are and all that we have. There is incredible joy in knowing and experiencing the delight of God over you, not based on your performance, but on his son's obedience on the cross. A.W. Tozier is thought to have said, trying to be happy without a sense of God's presence is like trying to have a bright day without the sun. The foundation for joy is our experiencing God's delight. We talked early in this series about the importance of taking delight pauses throughout our day where we stop to feel God's delight and to give our souls room to hear the Spirit regularly whisper to us that we are God's children. Now, if you missed either of those first couple messages, check them out. Week, I think it's week two and week three of this series. I personally, I have so enjoyed building this into my life. It's the first thing I do when I have a quiet time with God. I stop and envision him delighting in me. It pours joy into me. It truly is becoming a source of strength in my life. Now, the second way we can grow in the joy of the Lord being our strength is by enjoying his good gifts to us. Look again at what Nehemiah says to the people who are stuck in this place of repentance and weeping. He says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Now, finally, I found biblical support for my addiction to sweet tea. It's right here. I'm memorizing this verse. Okay. But no, ne Nehemiah is urging the people to go out and enjoy God. God's gifts to you. Go and enjoy some great food and some good drinks. He's talking about creating space to enjoy and appreciate the good gifts that are all around us. We talked about this in week four, how we can build into our lives. And, and we need to build into our lives this practice of appreciation, taking five minutes every day to remember something that brought us joy and then to let our body and our brain feel the emotion of that experience. By doing this, we are engaging the experiential side of our brain, the location of our joy center. Okay, now if you're thinking, why is Alan bringing up this stuff? We already talked about earlier in this series. Here's why. Are you doing this? 
<laughs> are you doing this? Are we actually practicing what we've been learning about? This is a strategic reminder to us that joy won't just happen to us. It is something we have to cultivate. We have to practice it. And the more we build it into the rhythm of our lives, the more resilient our joy will become. Now, let me mention another way to practically apply this idea of enjoying God's gifts, and that is through the practice of Sabbath of taking a 21, 24-hour period of time each week, one day out of seven, and on that day, you don't do any ought-tos. No work-related emails, no obligatory chores. The purpose is to carve out time where you can enjoy the Lord and his gifts to you. Take a walk, take a nap, Read a book you've been wanting to read. Spend time enjoying the Lord. Play a game with your kids. Now, the Hebrew word Sabbath has two meanings. One is to cease from. The other meaning is to delight in. I love that because of the power when you combine those two. Sabbath is a gift God has given us to do both of those. To, to take a guilt-free day to cease from our productivity, all the stuff that we do the other six days, and to slow down in order to rest, to create space, to enjoy the Lord and to enjoy each other and his good gifts to us. God commands us to practice that one day in seven, God says, I want you to stop working and I want you to create space to appreciate and enjoy my good gifts in your life. Now, which particular day you choose is not important. What is important is that we are building into our lives a Sabbath rhythm that enables us to cultivate resilient joy, a greater experience of God's peace in our lives. Rather than being continually swept up in the hectic, joy-robbing pace of our culture, the third thing we can do to grow in our experiencing the joy of the Lord is our strength is by serving someone else. Serving someone else. Look again at Nehemiah's command to the people in verse 10. He says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. He's saying, look, in your feasting and celebrating God's good gifts to you, don't forget those who aren't able to celebrate, those who don't have food prepared for whatever reason. Send some of the food you've prepared to these people who haven't prepared. Now, from, from my reading of this, this is about way more than food. This is about having a heart posture that serves other people. This is huge when we're talking about joy. I mean, if we only make joy about ourselves, enjoying the wonderful things God has given to us, what can begin to happen is that we start to become a spiritual swamp. A swamp is a body of water that doesn't have any, any inflow or outflow. It just stagnates and creepy things grow in it. God has created us to not be joy hoarders, but to be joy givers, who out of the overflow of his joy in our lives, we bring joy to others. Now, it is no coincidence 
that right before Jesus talks in John 14 and 15 about his joy being made complete in us, right before he talks about that, he takes off his robe in John 13, takes off his robe, grabs a towel and begins washing his disciples' feet. And then he says to them, I want you to follow my example. I want you to serve one another. I think this is a really important question for anyone who is a part of Christ's community to ask, especially in this COVID reality we've been walking through. Here's the question. Where are you serving someone else? Where are you serving someone else? Sometimes we can fall into the trap of having church just be about us, about our needs being met and convenient, all that stuff. And so then our experience of church becomes focused on our own convenience, what works best for us. But in that, I think sometimes we forget that we're a family. We're a family. We are a body. And that church gatherings, whether in person or online, are not just about us being spiritually fed. They're also about us serving others, delighting in people, listening to them, praying for them, encouraging them. You know, it's not just about you. It's not just about you. Maybe there is someone who comes to in-person church that day or engages online and is on the brink of taking their own life. And it is your smile. It is your handshake. It is your prayer for them. It's your taking an interest in them that God wants to use to bring hope and encouragement to them. Who needs you in the body of Christ? If our only focus in church is our needs being met in the most convenient way possible, we over time will become consumers and we miss the joy-filled opportunity to serve someone else. And here's the cool thing. It not only brings them joy, it brings us joy as well. There is joy in serving, getting out of ourselves and serving other people. Now, practically speaking, look, every ministry in our church right now has opportunities to serve. Worship, tech, prayer, hospitality, children's ministry, student ministry, you name it. There are serving opportunities all around us, opportunities to pour joy into other people and to bless them. So if you're looking for a place to serve, go on our app, to the volunteer opportunity area. You can express your interest and we'll get back with you to explore this further. Now, the fourth way to grow in our experience of joy, uh, the joy of the Lord being our strength, is through refocusing our hope. Now, this particular principle is not specifically found in the Nehemiah passage, but it's found in another passage in the Bible that I have pondered over and over again during this series. And it's it's in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. It fits so well this context and also provides a great way to conclude this entire series. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Man, this is such a powerful passage, especially in these days in which we live. There is a weariness that can easily settle into our hearts. We maybe feel like a failure in some area. We feel overwhelmed with life and stress and grief and loss. We can start looking for the nearest escape hatch. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we're running a race, not a sprint, but a long distance race, one that requires perseverance. And the way we are to run this race, the key to our persevering in this race is to fix our eyes on Jesus who went to the cross for us. But there's a specific thing about Jesus that the writer wants us to hone in on. Notice he says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross, having been tortured and beaten and mocked and shamed. And in that traumatic experience, there was one thing that kept him going. Joy. Joy. The promise of future joy the future joy of being in his father's presence, the joy of heaven. Friends, this is our ultimate hope. While we can experience joy in our relationship with God in this life, we know, we all know that this world as it is, is not our ultimate home. We we, we are very much aware of the fallen, broken, hurting, painful world we live in, the friends and loved ones we've recently said goodbye to in death, the reality of conflicts in our world and the and various anti-God ideologies that seem to be growing in traction and influence. I mean, at times, this world feels like a really dark place filled with grief and pain and heartache. We long for ultimate joy. And this is what Jesus promises us, that when we place our trust in him, we not only experience the joy of his delight in this life, we also have an inheritance that is waiting for us in the next life. I love how Jesus talked about this experience. He often, various passages, he often used the image of a banquet, a a party, a joy-filled celebration with eating and drinking and rejoicing. For instance, in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, to those who faithfully use the gifts God has given them in this life to serve other people, which harkens back to what we talked about a moment ago, God promises blessing in the next life. And notice the language Jesus uses to talk about this next life. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Did you hear that last line? I mean, did you really hear it? (laughs) Come and share your master's happiness. 
That's the invitation we have from God. That's the hope we have in Jesus, that when this life is over, happiness and joy await us. We get to share in a celebration beyond what we could ever imagine. We will be united forever with this God of joy and delight and gladness and rejoicing. The joy that we long for in our grief and pain and loss, that joy will finally and fully be ours. This is our hope. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know that all of us have things that are burdening us and grieving us and discouraging us, weighing us down. And it is so easy in the midst of that It is so easy to lose sight of our ultimate hope in the midst of all the difficulties and heartache that we're experiencing. Hebrews 12 urges us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to to remind us that the best is yet to come. Fullness and joy and happiness will be ours forever. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength, your refuge, your safe place. Experience his delight. Enjoy his good gifts. Serve others out of the abundance you have received. And focus your heart on the joy set before you in heaven. Let's pray together. So I want to begin this prayer time by giving an opportunity for anyone who is watching or listening to experience a relationship with God through Christ. This isn't about trying hard. It's not about cleaning up your life. It is as simple as you acknowledging your need that you're a sinner and choosing to place your trust in in Jesus, trusting his work on the cross. If you have never done that, or you're not sure if you've ever done that, I want to invite you just to pray a prayer along with me. You can just repeat these words in your heart or out loud. Repeat these words after me. Here we go. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and that I am separated from you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of my sin. And I choose to place my trust in you, Jesus. I bring to you all of my failures and fears and doubts and questions and sin. And in exchange, I receive your presence living in me through your, the Holy Spirit. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for giving me new life. Transform me from the inside out. So, Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you, God. I pray that they would grow now in their experience of your delight being delighted in by you. 
So for the rest of us, all of us who are listening, what, what is the Holy, let me just ask, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now about your experience of joy? Maybe thinking through the whole teaching series or just this particular message. What is he prompting in you? What is he inviting you to practice? So maybe it's delight, taking time to let him delight in you. Maybe even right now, letting him delight in you. Or maybe for you, it's enjoyment. Maybe the thought of a Sabbath feels so life-giving. You want to start carving out time for that, even starting with 12 hours or whatever, but carving out this time in your weekly rhythm for joy, for enjoyment. So God, give wisdom if, if for those who are wanting to establish that in their lives. Maybe for others of you, it's service. God's just prompting you, man, you're in a place where it's for a long season now, it's all been about you. And maybe God is saying, hey, you have gifts to offer to others, things to bring to others. And he's stirring in you a desire to serve. I encourage you to take action. Take action just in that, in, in response to that stirring. And then maybe some of you, it's about refocusing your hope in the midst of grief and struggles, just being reminded that your hope for ultimate joy is in heaven. God, thank you for that hope that we have, that even though this world is a dark place and discouraging place at times and with struggles and suffering and difficulty, our ultimate hope is in you and the promise of your happiness and joy. This banquet, this party, this celebration in your presence beyond this life. Thank you, Jesus, for securing that hope for us. Help us to fix our eyes on you. God, would you help our church just be, and each one of us, just be a people of joy, that you would help us grow in this joy and all that we've been learning in this series. Help us grow in our practicing joy and our experience of joy, and may that spill over into the lives of others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I wanted to thank you for your generosity to Christ Community Church. And there, I wanted to just share a little, a little story, cool story that happened last week. There's a woman in our church um, named Caitlin who for 10 years has wanted to be baptized, but she has been uh, thought she was unable to because of being in a wheelchair. So she reached out to our church. She's a part of our church family. Just mentioned something to someone in our church family. One of our pastors got on that. And uh, we found this therapy pool here in Greeley. And so last week in front of friends and family, Caitlin was baptized. It was so cool. It was the highlight of my week and uh, and just was such a special time for Caitlin and her family and friends. Um, and so I just want to, I just want to, share that because when you invest in 
um, Christ Community Church financially. Those are the kinds of stories that are happening because of that. So thank you for your generosity. There are all sorts of ways to give. There are links to this video. You can go on our website, our app, um, all sorts of ways to give. And again, just thank you for those of you who invest in the ministry of Christ Community. God is using those gifts to impact people's lives. All right, it's time to, to talk about the sermon. And then I also kind of hope to, to talk about the whole sermon series. series too and possibly things that have been coming up from, from mm-hmm. doing that. Um, so, Jenny, do you have something uh, from the sermon that Pastor Ron just gave mm. before I, I kind of hop in? I was going to say no because I'm so still processing. I'm, I love that we've gotten through all these different segments of it, but now like trying to put it all in my head as one piece. Like how do I, how do I end up doing this relationally? You know, how do, but now how do I do it as a whole? Yeah. I think is probably where I'm landing. What does that look like for Jenny? What does that look like for Jenny to be doing this wholly rather than just like, okay, I'm going to be doing it in this part, this area, this area, this area, but incorporating mm. these things like, yeah, in daily routines and being intentional. And having the awareness around me that I am practicing. Yeah, because there seems to be, and here's something I've I've been thinking about that that so all these practices that I've been t- talked about, they point to something. They point to a depth of something that that although I'm like targeting like a joyful heart or a joyful experience. It brings you into something deeper each time, and there's this participa- participation in something that it feels very holy. And so, p- people in the congregation have been bringing up, and so I'm speaking on behalf of them um, that, that, that they're doing the practices. Um, say the the the. Appreciation practice. And so as they begin to appreciate things, they're beginning to experience things uh, that could be a part of a joy. But uh, for instance, someone said they began to appreciate something and then they felt great sorrow. But it was like whole sorrow, like full sorrow. Um, They begin to appreciate Appreciate these different things, and they're experiencing happiness. They're uh, experiencing all these different things that that in the pursuit of joy. It, and yeah. so, was I that think, a good thing, or were they concerned about that? Oh, it's a great. It's, thing. That's the thing. I'm 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 kind of I'm trying to put my finger on it. Because mm-hmm. so I told them that's fantastic, uh, because that's the human heart. Like yep. they're experiencing the yes. truth of their heart, and so I'm curious. It's, so, so it seems that how joy has been talked about during the sermon series, it's something bigger than just something I feel. Mm. It, it's. Something and I don't know how to. It's a state of being 
Yeah. Then that that the heart can experience sorrow and joy mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. It yes. can experience pain and joy at the same time. And and so the sermon that you just gave, I think it like embodied that. There's this yep. picture of Jesus there on the the cross experiencing yep. sorrow and pain and uh, at the same time joy. Yep. How does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, this is like, tell yeah, me what these around. people are in the congregation are feeling, experiencing yeah. as they're pursuing this. I don't know. Yeah, it's almost, I wonder if part of it is that the right side of our brain, some of that, the intentionality that we're, we've been going after in this series of engaging that specific part of our brain, which is the experiential part. And I wonder if that gets rusty for us sometimes Mm. and our faith can become kind of cognitive. And so when we begin to even remember a moment and feel that a moment, it's like, it's more than just joy. We're experiencing something, right? And we're used to just thinking about things. And now all of a sudden it's like this whole new dimension of our humanity is we're pressing into and 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 in that place i think we not only awaken our joy center but we also give room to feel other things as well um and learn how to what you described how to live in this this home of joy right where the, it becomes our dwelling place it becomes hmm. our refuge it becomes our home you know yeah more and more yeah. I think that's really good, Alan, what you just said on the, it opens up our minds to experience other emotions because I know we talked a little bit about this last week, but it's the practice of, of this, these joy practices. I feel like you can, you can go there and you can have these moments of joy, but I think how important it is to experience things that are sad and everything to broaden those emotional paths in our brain because if only if you get really good at the joyful and you don't do well with the sadness and I speak from my own experience um the joy can sometimes be fake yep you know and that's my my experience and then the fake the um facade of joy then has been hurtful to the people around me you know, and so I have been in this journey personally of this, like, how do I experience sadness in a healthy way to then fully now experience what real joy is and this biblical joy? That's great. Yeah, I think we we talked in that discussion that day, and it was really eye-opening to me because I tend to come at this from an Enneagram. If you're talking Enneagram perspective, mm-hmm. I come from an Enneagram 3, which is more of a driven fear of failure. And so the joy part is not as easy for mm-hmm. me. And so some of these practicing joy, these practices of joy made sense to me because my brain doesn't typically go there. Right. But it was eye-opening to talk to you <laughs> as an Enneagram 7, who joy becomes, almost becomes a wall. It's the rut. <laughs> <laughs> Your joy can become a, yeah, a wall, yeah. a self-protective wall. Mm so that you don't have to feel sadness, right? right? And so I think that's an interesting thing for people to process. Mm -hmm. um, What direction are they coming from? Mm -hmm. For some of them, everything maybe has been joy, 
And the invitation is to a more, more wholehearted yeah. experience of emotion mm -hmm. rather than that superficial joy. Because mm -hmm. then, like you said, it comes across in a dismissive way for mm -hmm. people. Come on, just think get over it. Things. Yeah. It right. Or are you coming more from a place where joy has not really been something you've intentionally practiced? It's mm -hmm. not something that comes naturally to you. And that's, that was my, where I was mm -hmm. coming for most of this. But I think that's a really important distinction and different people are probably interacting with this material. Um, right. In different Wherever ways. they're exactly. at. Exactly. And adapting it to kind of where they're at in their, in their journey. Mm -hmm. So in that same boat, so I was talking to somebody after church and they, um, they said, it seems kind of like he's, he's combining peace and joy. Um, how he defines joy, it sounds a whole bunch like how, how I experience peace. peace. Uh, so is, can you talk to, I mean, there are even times I during the it. sermon you say, shalom and I know. joy. And so how does that hold hands? Because it has to, right? Well, I joy think it and peace. Does. Yeah. And that's probably the most important thing, more than the how, it's that they, they, they do. And um, in in some of those books I've been reading and the resource list, many of them will not use them quite synonymously, but they frequently will talk about the wholeness of being that comes when we engage in joy. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what the connection is, but I do think they <laughs> they hold hands. Yep. When we're practicing joy in this joyful place, it is a peaceful place. Yeah. It is a place of shalom, right? Yep. Um, and on the other, the flip side, when you are in a peaceful place, you are probably more apt to experience yep. and recognize the joy when it appears. I think so. Because mm -hmm. the joy seems to hold integrity in peace, yeah. um, in that sense of wholeness, yeah. in that um, there's joy in that. Yeah. Yeah, when there's so. chaos in my house, like at the <laughs> end of the day, and we're going yeah. in the house with backpacks and lunches and the dog's going crazy there's this like seven minute moment of pure chaos and just like do this do that i don't know if i've ever experienced joy in those seven minutes mm. you know yep. <laughs> but when things have calmed down for the night and everybody's quiet and we're reading books putting to bed you know that's where the joy just blooms mm. and the moments that come in the 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 gratitude gratitude for family or yeah. one of the other things I never mentioned in any of the messages, but they talk about how like with a baby, a baby will experience delight, the joy of that, and then they'll look away. It's like they can't handle constant joy. They need huh. breaks. They need rest. And so I wonder if that's part of the connection to that it's not a constant 24-7 Right. Energetic joy we're going after. There's a there are experiences of joy. There's a balance almost between rest and joy. Huh. And I wonder if peace is part of that as well. Yeah. You know, that peace is almost this settled joy when we don't maybe have the we're not in that energetic joy moment, but it's this settled content joy. Yep. That's good. All right. So um, b before the sermon series happened, um, the pastor, Dr. Allen, 
that I had been talking to back then was so excited about the sermon series, so excited about the things that God was showing about joy and um, just super amped about it. And there's been seven sermons and there's been this whole journey that has happened. And doing a sermon, it, it totally forms a congregation. It helps the congregation. The congregation was, they are going to grow because of that sermon. But the person who gives that sermon, they're also taught, they're impacted by the sermons that are being taught and experienced too. So I'm very interested in how the sermon series, by, by participating, uh, uh, it's the, 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 the idea of the joy of service has been, during this whole journey, how has the perspective of joy grown for you um, by doing this? Yeah, that's an interesting way to ask it. I think, I mean, obviously some of the practices and stuff that, that I've been trying to implement, um, but there has been a joy and an excitement in sharing it and seeing light bulbs kind of turn on for people or having them share how they're applying this or what they're doing. Man, that, that's been really life-giving for me, yeah. you know, uh-huh. and joy-producing for me that it, it seems to really be resonating with people in a way that they're they're actually practicing. I had a, a wife, a husband in the lobby last week, and, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm reminding them, you know, have you taken your delight pause today? <laughs> you know, those kinds of things are so, you know, fun. Right. And we talked about how maybe we all need a, like a timeout chair. We mm-hmm. all need our delight chair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we're maybe not, <laughs> we're in enemy mode or doing, not doing well, we go to our little delight place. I don't know. If and, someone said, hold on, you need to go I in know. your delight, I'd be but, like, dude. I know, you know like, but that's what's, it was Call it, was it something else. Well, it no, was yeah. a joke. Yeah, yeah. But it was, yeah, <laughs> it was a joke. But the idea is um, even learning to recognize yeah. in others well, where, hey, we're interacting with our child and they're in enemy mode. Right. right? What what power what what impact could I have by just delighting in them right now? Right. You know what I mean? So absolutely. But it that's a side note. It's more of just those kinds of conversations have been encouraging to me. Yep. Because encouraging me because that was the heart of this whole series. Um, it was a lot. It was a lot of work, honestly. And I part of me does feel a little exhausted um, because <laughs> like of all honesty. the research done and trying to bring yeah. all these books and ideas together in a way that make sense to people yeah. and so i i just feel kind of proud about how the whole thing ended up because going in i wasn't exactly sure what each week was going to look like and so i feel satisfied you yeah know? that's and a huge thing to feel it that is. and yeah. how the sermon series ended up being laid out and how i think we had all the the things that i felt like were significant in that and in a way that people can apply so there's a sense of satisfaction in that series, I put a lot of effort into it. I feel encouraged by, you know, the stories that I'm hearing and the way people are trying to apply this yep. and the impact it's having. And it, it's, I guess, hopeful that it will continue to infiltrate and permeate how our small groups 
that we'll still use joy practices in our small group questions and in our staff, different staff contexts, that this is just sort of a launching place, I hope, for joy rather than, okay, what's the next topic, you know? So how are the themes of joy, hypothetically, how are they going to continue on here as the church is going forward? Yeah. I mean, for me, when I boil it all down, I think it comes down to delight and appreciation. Hmm. And so those are things we all can grasp onto. So if I, if this is the, part of it is the gospel, it's however we talk about the gospel, using that language of God delighting in us, that is so foundational and it can just be a part of everything we do, right? That foundation of the gospel. And on on, on the same topic, instead of saying, so I accept the gospel, I'm enjoying the gospel. Yes. It's like this participation and enjoyment in him. Yeah. Yeah. And so that shift hopefully can permeate even the language we use to talk about the gospel. And then I also think the flip side of delight is the delighting in other people and mm-hmm. the power of that. That's just so simple mm-hmm. at some level. It's so powerful. So delight, that first part. And then I think appreciation is the same way. Can I learn to appreciate the good gifts God has given me and mm-hmm. live in that place of contentment, peace, learning to um, engage that part of our brain right that joy center but then it's also the power of appreciating other people yes. and so there's a there's a, a vertical element to delight and appreciation yep. and there's a horizontal element and i hope when you simplify it in that way i hope those are things that will continue in our church right yep. in terms of our relationships mm-hmm. with one another, one another as well as our relationship with the lord so that that's my my prayer and, and really desire. Well, we are such a church of a response and a practice. And so yeah. how simple would it be to be like this week, out of this message, yep. we're going to bring back this piece exactly. of delight and this piece of gratitude. And I've thought about doing that even in the prayer time before the sermon mm-hmm. um, in the next couple months, but periodically as we're, you know, we have that prayer time right before the sermon starts, just, hey, let's practice a delight pause, you know, just to reinforce. That would be so good, right? Like to set the tone going in. (laughs) Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, to to find ways to practice it. I've talked to Shane and Bruce about our small group questions. Can we continue to incorporate those kinds of questions at the start of a small group meeting that they would Mm -hmm. actually go around and practice appreciation or they would practice Mm -hmm. delight? as a, as a regular part of, you know, over time of our groups. So hopefully those things can continue. I agree. It's fantastic. Alan, thank you for this series. Like it was, it was beautifully done and your hard work has paid off and we've enjoyed it. So awesome. Thanks. I appreciate that. I think there was this goal is like, how do you create a culture of Joy, joy, right? Like, yeah. it's like, how do we create this culture? And Can I you think, make people joyful? Yeah, you, I don't know. you can't do it, but <laughs> sh- you gave the ability for people to participate in yeah. joy. And mm-hmm. I've I've seen these cultural mm-hmm. changes, how people talk to each other, how people interact. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. I believe there is a culture shift happening, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm That's so awesome. proud of that. Yeah. Uh, what? what you're making me think of is Mariana. So she talks about right now that she's on this bridge. 
okay. Yeah. And I feel like you have built the bridge for people. Mm. She's mm. on a different bridge for Topeka. <laughs> but you have yeah. built the bridge for joy. And it is, That's good. yeah, people mm. are allowed to go. No, Amen. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, that's, well, that's it. it. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Be joyful. Be joyful. <laughs>